welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. You know, uh, <laughs> what the kids experienced with us is just one of the hallmarks of Christmas, pardon the hallmark pun, um, because it's a, it's a season filled, as it should be, with warmly personal experiences just like that. It's not just for kids, it's for all of us to experience the, the beauty and, and the personal moments of the season, and they're great and wonderful, and we cherish them, and we encourage them. But you know, Christ also came as a consequential person. And for a few moments tonight, I want to ask you to consider with me uh, the the greatness of who he was and is and how that could alter your life tonight. I'm going to do it by sharing a little bit from my life and how I grappled with whether he existed or not and how he came into my life Um, We've been doing a series, you may have seen it in in the video there, called Do You See What I See? And and each week I've been taking a different consequential dimension of who Jesus is as he arrived on the planet and teaching through it from the New Testament. We've talked about Christ as the perfect one from the Gospel of John. He was God who also became man, the only sinless person to ever walk the planet. And he went to the cross, as Jeremy earlier mentioned in his prayer, to die a perfect death we couldn't die, to buy us a perfect salvation we never deserved. And so we talked about the God-man, Jesus Christ, the first week. Uh, Last Sunday, we talked about the predicted one, the fact that dozens and dozens of biblical prophecies were made about the, the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus centuries before he ever came to the planet. And they prove that he's the marked out individual in all history who is the only Savior of the world. Tonight I want to talk about the fact that he, in my life, became one whom I'd call the persuasive Christ. Discovering who he was answered the deepest struggle that I had about God, and it altered my life. It it all came as I grappled with the supernatural, and let's just admit it, Happily, uh, Christmas is all about the supernatural, isn't it? Thank you. That's right, dear. It's all about the supernatural. It's all about the amazing, isn't it? Yeah. One of my favorite writers that I read uh, in in Christmas is uh, named Ray Pritchard, a Bible teacher and author, and he put the, the connection of the supernatural with the original Christmas this way. He wrote, It's impossible to miss the supernatural element in the birth of Jesus. Angels pop up all over the Christmas story. An angel tells Mary she'll give birth to Jesus. An angel tells Joseph to call his name Jesus. An angel announces the birth of Christ to the shepherds. And then the angelic choir serenades them. An angel warns Mary and Joseph to flee to Egypt. And an angel tells them when it's safe to return to Israel. But that's not all. You have the mysterious star that led the magi, the wise men, from some distant land all the way to Bethlehem to the very house where they found Christ. 
Christ. And the Magi were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, but to go home another way. So there you have it. Resplendent angels, supernatural stars, and divine dreams. Supernatural stuff everywhere. The stuff that famous modern atheists like Richard Dawkins say intelligent people can't believe in. Well, he says, my point is not to refute Richard Dawkins, but to illustrate one aspect of a truly Christian worldview. We as Christians believe in something absolutely amazing. We believe that this world that we inhabit is really not the real world. This is just the temporary world. This ball of earth that we call home will not last forever. We believe there is another world that is the real world. It's the world of God and of the angels and of Christ and the Holy Spirit, of heaven and the saints who dwell in glory. These two worlds exist side by side. We live in one world now, but we believe in another world. And that's why the Bible calls us strangers and aliens on the earth, pilgrims. We're pilgrims on a journey from this world that is passing away to a world that will last forever. The supernatural is what Christians believe in and live in. And uh, the supernatural is what Christmas is all about. But the whole life of Christ is about the supernatural. Not only did he have a supernatural birth, he lived a supernatural life. He died a supernatural death in terms of what happened there. And of course, the resurrection is a supernatural event in history. So all of this I'm going over as I begin tonight because I want to point out that Christianity forces us to grapple with the reality of the supernatural. It forces us to grapple with the reality of another world. It forces us to grapple with the very existence of God. And that's where I want to take you into an early struggle in my life. I want to talk very briefly for a few moments about how I grappled with the implications of Christianity in my secular life as a non-believer, in fact, a very skeptical non-believer, and how I discovered Jesus to be the persuasive answer to the deepest question I had, and that was about the existence of God. Tell you a little bit about my past. Uh, I was raised in a, a scientific, materialistic, an atheistic home. Scientific in the sense that my father was well-trained. He was a physician and, and had an incredible mind that would lead him to incredible success. Materialistic in the sense that the philosophy of life I was taught was that to acquire enough, as much material goods as you could, all the, all the bells and whistles and the toys was was in addition to just being a success, those were the the really ultimate purposes of life. Achieve your dreams and get a lot of gold along the way. But I was also a materialist in the sense that I remember my father teaching me that this reality is all there is. He preached to me constantly, there is no other world and there is no eternity. He would often say to me as a physician, we are all simply very strangely sophisticated physical computers. And when the the current stops flowing through the computer that you are, who you are ceases to exist. So I was brought up in that environment with that mindset. I took those views 
into adulthood and into college. And there I met my first Christians. Actually, I met some of them in high school. I came from a very secular background, really didn't meet a believer until I was in high school and, and, uh, and then in college. And though I had social relationships with many of them, I also could become trip hammer antagonistic toward them. And I rejoiced in tearing down their faith personally and in front of others in a classroom setting many times. And I was very successful, I'm sad to say. I was unusually antagonistic. There was something in me that was unusually hateful toward these Christians that believed in a different world and an eternity and a personal God. There was something in me that just just shot out of me, filled with anger in fact, there were times that I got so angry with some of them and so, so harmful to them emotionally and relationally afterward, even though I didn't know God in any way, I, I had a sense of guilt and it began to bother me how hateful and angry I could be at times. So I analyzed my antagonism in quiet moments in my life late at night and I grappled with it in terms of, it, it seemed to surround one big question. There was one penetrating question. I've been taught not to believe in God. I've been taught that there is no other world than this one. I've been taught that there was no eternal dimension, that we were just material beings in a world of achievement and then nothing. But I asked myself at one point this penetrating question, Joe, if there is no God, why are you so obsessed with him? If there is no God, you're, so, you're completely convinced of it and you've been taught that, you have it as a settled conviction, if there is no God, why are you so obsessed with him? In fact, why in moments do you even hate him? And that question began to just disturb me and, and I would ponder it. There was a, different ways that I asked myself that question. Another way of putting it is, if there is no God, why did, where did my very idea of God come from? That started to bother me too. How can a simply materialistic being that's here by chance even come up with the idea of a God, let alone the kind of God these Christians talked about? This amazing and immense God figure who was also personal and who spoke in, in their eyes as truth through this book. Where could all that even come from? How could we even conceive of it if we're just mechanical, physical, biological accidents? And then maybe the deepest way I asked myself that question was, maybe God is as real as I'm afraid he is. So all of this stuff churned within me as, as a young man, and I, I struggled with it, and over a length of time, it prompted me to attack the Christians less and begin to listen to them more. And I began to have conversations instead of confrontations with Christians on campus. Because I was grappling with this and it would not let me go. And these Christians began to explain to me that this sense that God is real, according to Romans chapter 2, was something that God himself had placed within my heart because he had created me in his image. And the creation that he'd stacked around me in all this beauty and complexity was an evidence that he had created me. And they, they said what you're grappling with is your sense that you have been created by an ultimate being outside yourself, 
I was a thoroughgoing evolutionist, even though I didn't know how to answer all the problems in evolution, I just ignored them. (laughs) I was a materialist, evolutionist. But over time, I could not escape the fact that there was a gnawing realization that evolution didn't contain all the answers. In fact, it just produced more questions for me. I began to know and understand that there had to be someone behind it all. The Christians began to share with me that what I was discovering was what later I would discover in my own study was called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. Don't let the big term scare you. It's pretty simple to understand. I would learn from them and in my own study later that the cosmological argument for the existence of God can be made without ever opening a Bible. It goes like this. In fact, if you were to look it up, look it up and well, later, later tonight when you get home at dictionary.com or wherever you go to get your, your word wisdom, you'd find that the cosmological argument is defined this way. It's an argument for the existence of God that says that God is the first cause that created the universe. He is the first cause. It's also known as the argument from first cause or the causal argument or the argument from existence. And it basically goes in three steps. Premise one, something exists. Something exists in our three-dimensional world. It's here. You can't deny it. Whether it's simple, like the, the fabric of this lectern, or whether it's complex, like the design of your inner ear, something exists. Now, it's popular today to say that, oh, well, there's a different plane. And in fact, among people that still like the old version of the matrix, there's actually different dimensions in which reality is an entire, entirely fictional experience. Well, that's a fantasy, folks. It's a fantasy. The world I'm living in is very real, and I needed an explanation for it. So premise one, something exists. You can't deny it. Premise two, nothing cannot create something. And that's where I had to admit that my philosophy of of existence fell apart. It is nonsensical to believe that nothing can create something. The mechanism of evolution fell apart at its beginning point. So, something exists, simple or complex. Premise one. Premise two, nothing cannot create something. I had to philosophically admit that. And the conclusion is pretty simple. You're already there. Something then must have always existed before what we see in the three-dimensional world came into existence. Are you following? And so I had to come to a conclusion that that there had to be an eternal being outside all of this. I wasn't about to buy what some of my scientific friends were saying, that, well, of course, we just assume that the universe is, is, is eternal. I said, wait a minute, you're being intellectually dishonest. If you, if you can assume that material reality, the universe, is simply eternal by your statement of, of fact, you're exercising faith. Well, you can just as easily assume that, no, there is an eternal God who exists outside the universe we experience. If I'm going to believe in an eternal universe, I might as well go all the way and believe in an eternal God. And that's ultimately, as I listened to these Christians, I I understood that that was where my yearning heart was leading me, to believe what they told me in the very first page of their holy book, in the beginning, God, the earth. And so all of these things began to, to come together. And also my other question of where, How could an idea of God come into 
a system that was completely mechanistic and, and was, was allowing no possibility for God, I began to discover from them that my idea of God could have only come from the fact, the reality of God, because he created me in his image. And there was something in how he created me that, that was searching for him. Does that make sense? And he was the answer to that call in my heart. I was a created being, not an accidental being. Later still, they would show me a wonderful verse out of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament, chapter 3, verse 11, which says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. When I heard that verse, that told me what my whole struggle was. There was a sense of who he is that was planted in my heart because he created me in his image. And you and I, if, if we're outside of Christ, that's a grace and a gift that will drive you to honestly consider your creator. And I began to see that all these things were true because of who he was. Later, I'd go on after I came to Christ and study uh, Merrill Unger's commentary on the Old Testament. Wonderful. And in Ephesians 3, 11, he, he puts it this way. When the scripture says that God has put eternity into man's heart, he said, it is this God consciousness that the atheist futilely seeks to convince himself and others does not exist. That's what I spent all the young, young years of my life doing. I had a sense that there was a God. In fact, the inner me knew there was a God because God had put that awareness within me because he created me in his image. And I spent all my time trying to deny that. Dr. Unger put his finger right on what my battle was. The atheist futilely seeks to convince himself and others that God does not exist because God has set eternity in our hearts and minds, he writes, the transient things of time do not satisfy. That was also happening in my life. All the things my father had taught me to pursue came up empty. All the things I was placing my faith in, if you will, in this material universe were empty. This deep sense of life hereafter shows that God is working in this world of emptiness, Unger wrote. The fact is pivotal in the argument, moving to the climax, that Man knows instinctively that a day of reckoning is coming, and that was true about me too, because I knew that the way I was so hateful towards some of these Christians meant that I was morally flawed and that one day I would answer for my hate. And so all of this began to collect in my heart. So the penetrating question, if there is no God, why are you so obsessed with him, had its answer, because he really is... A, real he's put the knowledge and the sense of it in your heart but that really wasn't where it ended because God in his mercy not only forced me to face that penetrating question he gave me one persuasive answer the answer that the Christians gave me Jesus because in Jesus Christ who invaded the planet on that Christmas morning I found that there was a God who caused it all the first cause and then came into it all in that first Christmas morning, and then was crucified for it all on Calvary's hill, Jesus of Nazareth. So my desire to know who this creator God was was answered in the most beautiful way because I discovered that the Christians were right. There is one God who did create it all, but who came to it all and was, was crucified for it all, the Lord Jesus. 
They'd open their Bibles to me, and later, as I, after I was a Christian, I'd study in detail passages like Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he had appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There was my first cause. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There was the answer about how the laws of the universe work, and the tell us it should all be decaying and falling apart, but there are certain dimensions that are held together. How and why? The very hand of Christ as creator God. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's not only my creator and the sustainer of the universe, but he became my savior. Or John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. He was that first cause who before everything physical ever was, was come into being, he was there. All things were made through him, through this Christ. Without him was not anything made that was made. The Word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. The Word became flesh. You know what that's a biblical phrase for? Christmas. (laughs) So it all began to rotate into an understanding in my mind. And finally, they took me to John 3.16 once again, which says, for God, the first cause, the creator and sustainer of all, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The giving of his son was at Calvary through crucifixion, dying a death I should have died, and taking a penalty for sin that I should have taken. All of that gathered around me, and I knew that I knew that this was true. Well, my life was changed as my struggle gave way to peace, and I gave my heart and life to this one that came and gave his life for me, who rose again and came and dwelt in my very being, and he dwells in my very being tonight, decades later. And he calls me into even deeper peace, even as the world shakes around me in ways I've not seen it shake in my lifetime. That's the story of that penetrating question that led to a persuasive answer from this persuasive one. I don't know, but maybe you're like I was right now at this point in your life. Perhaps you're younger and you're grappling with all the the questions about who you are and the existence of another world, the purpose to who you are. And you're finding only darkness and emptiness in the answers of our society, our materialistic, atheistic society. Well, you're where I was. Maybe tonight you know in your heart that there is a God. Maybe you can't deny that any longer, just like I couldn't. And tonight when you hear the Jesus story, the Christmas story, it's becoming persuasive for you. I trusted it, and it went from persuasive to powerful. Let me invite you to do that tonight. If tonight is the night when you understand why all this is celebrated by believers and you want to come into a personal relationship with this God that you can't deny any longer, 
How do you do it? Simply in the cathedral of your own heart and mind right now, in silence before God, who can hear and understand every word, but who also knows every thought you have. You can simply acknowledge that he exists, that you've sinned against him by living the life he gave to you for his glory, for your own glory. That you realize that until that's resolved, you face an eternity of of justice for that. But that this creator God who made you also came to earth to save you through the giving of his son and through Christ's death and resurrection. Your eternal debt can be paid and you can step into a real relationship with the Lord. All you have to do is acknowledge that. I put it in shorthand for a lot of people. Becoming a Christian is simply seeing your sin for what it is and seeking to trust the Savior for who he is. Seeing and seeking. It's that simple. And it can happen in the quietness of your heart right now as you converse with him on a Christmas Eve. Oh, it's my heart prayer that you let the penetrating questions in your life lead you to the persuasive person of Jesus Christ. Thank you.